Adventures between the Arctic and Antarctic. Listen to Arvid Fuchs on the Ocean Change podcast. Welcome to this podcast episode. This is Bärbel. And this is Arvid. Hi, everybody. Hi, Arvid. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. So at the moment I'm uh, in my office in Vabramschip, but uh, the last couple of days I spent on board of Dagmar Own, and uh, we are busy working on her. So uh, I, I had to replace a couple of pipes and the water tank had to be flushed. And uh, so and everything is basically being taken apart and uh, the ceiling is being painted and the storage boxes are being painted and clean. And so the weather is not very nice at the moment. So it's, it's, it's a good uh, time to do some work below deck. So these are all preparations for this year's expedition? Yeah, it's it's general maintenance basically. The boat has been gone for for nearly two years. She hasn't been in the shipyard for nearly two years, and so um, so it's 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 time to start work on on, on the boat. And uh, in a couple of days, we will uh, go to the shipyard in Denmark in Egansund, which is the shipyard where we. We are doing all the maintenance for the last decades, I must say. Um, they are very experienced shipwrights, and they will uh, will put to work and do some structural work on the boat. And in the meantime, we will uh, do some painting, varnishing, and uh, mechanical work on, on on the machinery. And well, it's it's uh, literally taking the boat apart and and put everything back again. And uh, so. Uh, check everything out and that's uh, that's springtime is usually the time where we go to work do you already know when you start your expedition this year and where you're heading well we'll start sailing probably in uh, the second part of of may and uh, so we have to put the sails back up again and then get everything in c-shaped condition and um, the expedition itself will start uh, in late june i'm not sure which date and uh, we will um, stay for a while in the baltic sea and then head up north to uh, the northern tip of denmark and uh, on to Norway and then probably head over to uh, the Hebrides and Scotland and Irish Sea and uh, so I'm, I'm still working on, on, on the routing for the summer. Okay, let's continue talking about your first expedition with Dagmar when you circumnavigated the North Pole. In preparation for this interview, I always read your books, Arvid, and it is amazing what you experienced and what dangerous situations you got into with Dagmar. Today, let's focus on the Northwest Passage and there especially on the ice pressings you got into right in front of the Bellwood Street in August 1993. You were trapped in the ice. Do you remember? Oh, yes, I do. So uh, this is something you will never forget, uh, as a matter of fact, because uh, that's a very serious uh, situation we were in. Um, uh, that was, as you mentioned, way back in, in 93. And uh, at that time, you, you wouldn't get all this uh, uh, 
yeah, sophisticated information you will get nowadays via satellite. And so where the only information, the source of information was the so-called weather facts. And um, so every couple of days you would receive a weather facts with a ice chart. But when you received it, it was already a couple of days old. So and the ice situation might change uh, in between a couple of hours. So uh, you, you just started out as the old explorers did. You just um, looked at the ice and, and, and made a decision whether you could proceed or whether you had to turn back or wait or whatever. And eventually, so we sailed into the so-called Prince Regent Inlet, um, which is a rather narrow area in, in the Northwest Passage. And uh, uh, and then we got trapped in the, in the ice because the, the weather deteriorated. And uh, so uh, there was no way where we could hide or, or sail out of the ice. So uh, because the ice was coming through the inlet uh, towards our, our position, and uh, so the ice was being pushed by the wind ashore and uh, yeah between the the shoreline the ice that was accumulating on the shoreline and the ice that was coming uh, it was drifting in the in, in the inlet uh, just in between these uh, ice um, flows we were stuck and uh, the ice pressure was building up considerably so it was a very serious situation How does it sound when the ice pressing start? Well, it's uh, it's funny. So, uh, in a certain way, it's funny, I must say. So, because it it starts uh, like a humming noise, and uh, so it's it's not very very loud in the beginning. It, it's a humming sound that's building up in in, in the ice, and and all of a sudden, so when when the ice gives way for for the ice is pressing, uh, so it's like an earthquake and then it starts uh, getting noisy but uh, the noise is one thing but looking at the ice when when the big two meter thick ice flows are being pushed upwards and it, it's like an earthquake really uh, at sea and uh, so and, and you're sitting there in the middle of uh, these ice flows and you can't be sure if, if the ice if, if the boat will uh, survive these kind of ice pressures because it's 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 very very strong pressure that's building up and uh, yeah and, and that was the situation we were in. Could you do anything to help Dagmar? Well in the beginning you can't do anything because it was also in the middle of the night it was pitch black and, and the wind was howling and uh, uh, the situation seemed to be pretty desperate in the beginning you could hear the boat groan because the, the timber Uh, structure was was uh, trying to keep up with the ice pressure and, and the pressure that was building up around the hull and the boat was eventually slowly lifting out of the ice but uh, you get the feeling that the boat is a living organism really so and, and you feel with the boat and you know if the boat is gone you you be going to be in, in deep trouble and so it's good to know that the, the boat builders did a marvelous job and uh, Uh, the boat was strong, but still. Uh, also, it's it's uh, yeah, it's it's it has an impact on your head, so it's mentally uh, challenging, basically, because 
the howling wind, the, the ice that's uh, moving around the boat and the ice pressure and it's pitch black and uh, you, you don't know how it's going to end. And uh, so um, it was quite a situation and we, we spent a whole night and then in the morning the ice pressure abated uh, slowly. So we had some rest and we took a chainsaw out and cut around the, the hull so uh, to, to smooth the edges of the ice and uh, and decided what we're going to do next because the ice was still there and uh, yeah the ice pressings always took place during the night and in the second night you've put on your survival suits as a precaution and um, at some point you gave order to prepare to leave the ship well we didn't leave the ship as a matter of fact but uh, we were ready to do so and uh, this was a yeah precautionary measure because uh, when the ship goes down for whatever because it's it's held by the ice or it's breaking apart so you do not have much time and that's why we put our our zodiac our dinghy on the ice and loaded it full with the provision with the cooker with uh, sleeping bags with uh, yeah all kind of uh, polar equipment and uh, so ready to pull the boat across the ice uh, ashore and we were also ready to inflate the life raft in case uh, the boat goes down so that we would have some extra shelter and we um, yeah everybody was wearing survival suits of course and uh, in the meantime the ice pressure was building up in, in, in the second night uh, even more than, than the first night and um, the rudder mechanic broke and was bent and uh, so um, it was a very serious situation and uh, yeah we were ready to leave the boat but we never did so. This all happened in 1993 long before everyone had internet access everywhere and all the time. Did you have contact with the Coast Guard? Yes, we did have contact with the with the Coast Guards, and that was basically part of the deal. So we informed them before we entered the Northwest Passage, and they asked us to send position reports, and whenever we run into some trouble, to give them uh, the information as soon as possible, and, and that's what we did. So at that time, you didn't have satellite communication. It was the good old uh, HF radio, which we used, and we contacted an icebreaker called the Terra. Fox at that time and uh, they were um, just uh, going through the passage in some areas and they knew where we were but they said they, they can't get to our position because the ice was too strong and even though it was an icebreaker they, they couldn't get through the ice uh, but they knew where we were and um, it felt just good to talk to some uh, professionals and uh, that they knew where we were and uh, so they they were quite helpful but they they couldn't get to us but they visited you um, with a helicopter Yeah, that was the next day when the sun came out again, when uh, the wind abated and uh, so the weather improved considerably. We were still stuck in the ice, but it was not dangerous anymore for, for the moment, at least. And uh, so they sent a helicopter and I remember this. So it, it, it's a red helicopter, red chopper that um, landed on the ice just beside the boat. And then uh, the officers came out with a big cardboard box full of veggies and fruits and other goodies and they said well uh, just uh 
to give you some some goodies so uh, enjoy and they just left it on board which was just so generous in the situation and they also invited me for a helicopter flight and i just went into the chopper and uh, so they they gave me a tour around the area where we were to have a good look on the ice and we could see that the ice somehow uh, started to drift apart so that the pressure was abating and hopefully uh, it would clear out the sound in, in a couple of days or so. Um, then they brought me back to the boat and said, good luck and uh, we'll keep in touch and maybe we will see us later in the passage and that's the way it is in the Northwest Passage. <laughs> so, uh, but it just felt so good to have these guys uh, on our side. And it really came, as they said, you, you came free. Uh, the Dagmar Orn came free one of the next days. Yeah, it, it, it's amazing. As, as fast as the ice pressure can build up, as fast can the ice moves out again. And uh, so uh, the, the pressure relieves and the ice moves out in a different direction. And all of a sudden, uh, the Dagmar was floating again. And close by, there was an uh, inlet called Hazard Inlet, and uh, which is very shallow, as a matter of fact. But we managed to get into this inlet and we dropped anchor and stayed there for a couple of days to do some repairs on the, on the radar, which was band and broken and we welded and, and, and tuned everything until it was fit again and uh, we waited until the whole sound has cleared um, from the ice and, and then we started sailing again so uh, it, it was just also important for us to get some rest and not only physically but also mentally some find some rest and, and do some work on the boat and then uh, we decided okay so we, we, we tried again maybe a different route but we didn't uh, want to give up the plan to proceed through the passage. So we, we just took some rest and uh, then we proceeded. So it was just the damage on the rudder or did Dagmar have more damages? No, it was basically the damage on the rudder, which was pretty serious because you, you need the mechanism of it. We had uh, had a welding machine on board and, and uh, yeah, we, we could handle it and, and the spare parts that were necessary. So uh, we uh, were able to repair, to do the job and then the boat was fit again. And the crew? How did the crew deal with this situation? Well, I think the days in Hazard Inlet were quite important because we would just go out hiking and, and see the area and climb some mountains. And, and so, so that helped to compensate the situation we were in. And then basically everybody was fit again and uh, willing to proceed. So uh, there was nobody on board who said, well, it's too dangerous. So we, we just turned back. Uh, not one person. Is this something you expected when you planned to sail the Northwest Passage? Well, you have to be realistic when you plan such an expedition. And I grew up with all the reports and books about uh, the Franklin expedition, about Amundsen and, and whoever was there. So uh, we knew we could get into this situation. And that's why we uh, have this boat uh, 
converted by the shipwrights so that it uh, was able to cope with the uh, with the ice pressure. But uh, you do whatever you think it's necessary and and what is possible to do. But you never know, of course, uh, how serious the ice pressures will be. So that's part of the adventure, and uh, so that's part of the challenge. So if if you're not willing to take uh, this challenge, so you better stay at home. And we just decided. To, uh, to say. Okay, uh, but thank you. It's so incredible. Thank you for sharing this with us. You're most welcome. Thank you. And in case you listeners are a podcaster or you are interested in producing podcasts, Arvid and I, we are speaker at Podfest Global, which is a digital event by the end of March. And we will speak on March 27th and there are still tickets available. And if you don't want to miss the next episode of this podcast with Captain Arvid, please subscribe to this podcast so you won't miss the new episode. And thanks for a quick review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Arvid, I look forward to talking to you again. We'll do so. So do I. Bye-bye. Yes. That was the podcast Ocean Change by Arvid Fuchs and Babel Fenig.